Thanks for downloading this first episode in a new podcast series from Octopus Energy, where our aim is to give you a real insight into the company's DNA. Uh, and that's the way we work, the way we think, our values, and our people. Uh, my name is Russell Goldsmith, and together with my co-host, executive coach Trudy Lewis, uh, we'll be chatting to various members of the Octopus Energy team over the coming series, exploring everything from our products and services to the technology that sits behind them and the culture that is driving us to deliver cheaper, greener energy. And so what better way to kick things off and help set the scene for the conversation ahead uh, than to speak to the founder and CEO of the company, Greg Jackson. Um, so welcome, uh, Greg. And uh, joining him online uh, is the marketing and product director, Rebecca Dib simkin So welcome, both of you. Hey, Russell. Hey, Trudy. And hey, Rebecca as well. <laughs> Hello. 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 It's a bit weird, actually. How you, The two of you are, are currently sat in your office, yeah. but clearly a little bit... Apart, what's going on there at the moment? Well, we've just um, opened a new office in Soho, uh, but thanks to COVID, it's got room for 250 people and is occupied by, right now, the two of us. So <laughs> we've each got around 7,500 square feet to ourselves. We have. I mean, look, like, I think if I can, I could, I could probably like appear in the background of Greg. So, so I should probably explain for the benefit of those listening to the podcast rather than I mean, watching no, this I, video. No, and Rebecca's no, just picked up her laptop. And he's currently walking around the office to where <laughs> Greg is. Hey, guys, Greg, hey. sitting on the floor. Because that's just how we roll. <laughs> Sorry, all that really <laughs> carefully planned setup. You can cut this bit out if you want. No, 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 this is, this is great. And no, because it's great to see the setup and the branding and everything. It's um nice space. Now, thank you. Yeah, Trudy. it's good, isn't it? Right? It's great space. Yeah. I think every time we, we, this is our 12th kind of office in our four and a half, five year history, including, you know, the other towns, uh, Leicester, Warwick and Brighton. Plus, oh, actually, a couple more because we've got Melbourne and Sydney as well. But I think part of the job is to create a space where people want to come to work and that enables them to be uh, collaborative, but also to be able to focus. And so, you know, big open plan areas, but with lots of breakout space. Uh, but I think the other bit um, that we're you know, kind of really trying to achieve now is we've discovered that lots of people want to come and visit us and actually creating a great space for the visitors to flow around while people are working. Uh, and to see how the company really operates. So deliberately what we've done is really created space that's good for our people, uh, inspiring and, and hopefully uh, motivating and relaxing, but also, yeah, to, to welcome, welcome the world. Cool. Well, thanks, Greg. Why don't you start by explaining where the idea came from for this podcast? You know what? Um, we've been growing rapidly, um, I guess, in four years since we started trading our revenues over one and a half billion pounds and you know our team size has grown from i think rebecca you joined how long ago um i was employee number 34 uh, three and a half years ago cool and we're now you know there's over a thousand people on our um, slack system uh, now they're not all full-time and they're not all here in the uk but you know we've got um well over 700 full-time equivalent people in our team now uh, plus we've got partners uh, companies who we work with to build our business here and internationally. And really uh, what we're finding is that as we keep growing, the most important thing about our company is really understanding the mission we're on is not retrofitted to what we want to do. It's what we exist for. And our culture of everybody understanding and carrying that and spreading it is so important. And, and we were thinking like, how, how do we best communicate? If you weren't here on day one, how do we best help you kind of soak yourself into that quickly and, and, and being part of these conversations? 
um, it, it's going to be a way. I, I really hope that that people who are joining the company, people who you know, maybe with companies we acquire, uh, as we open up in other countries, as we drive in other lines of business, um, I really hope that that this enables people to really get a good sense of, of where we come from, what really matters to us, and, and how, how they can really revel in being a part of that and growing it themselves. Now that's for people who join the team. You know, if, you, if you're thinking about joining this company, what better way of getting to understand how we really are? And then, and then I guess finally, we've worked hard to try and create a different kind of organization. One where you don't hang your personality up alongside your coat when you arrive at the office, but where you can be your real self, because that's who we hired and that's who your teammates and customers want to deal with. And I hope more organizations follow this path where, where, where when, when they recruit people, they really cherish the, the essence of the person they've hired and allow them to be themselves and to create and contribute as best they can. So if we can talk about this openly as part of a conversation within the business community, I think that's a contribution we can make to, to how companies can better serve their employees and of course vice versa. Rebecca, we only spoke for the first time last week, you know, about, about putting this this um, podcast series together. Here yeah. we are <laughs> literally a week later, you know, on, on episode one. Is, is that typical of the way you guys work? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think if something's important, you make it happen and you make it happen fast. There, there's no point waiting around for it. We felt that you know, the organization has, has grown rapidly. We can't talk to everyone all of the time. Um, we're not in front of everyone all of the time, but actually how can we, you know, explain to people how, how we work and how we do things differently? Well, okay, well, let's let's dig a little deeper then into, into the culture of the business. So, Greg, let, let, let's start with you. What does it take to work for Octopus Energy? Look, I, first of all, um, look, we've got a concept that we talk about, uh, the dry stone wall. Now, I don't know whether you know about a dry stone wall, but a dry stone wall is a kind of way in which people build walls without using cement. So, uh, you know, the walls most of us are familiar with, you have a brick, there's a perfect cuboid, and you cement it onto another perfect cuboid, and they all make a perfect straight wall. Um, dry stone walls date back uh, millennia. Uh, you know, there's still dry stone walls around from Roman times here, here in the UK. And um, the way they work is the person building the wall looks at each stone, natural stone, and identifies how it will best fit with the others and they start stacking them and there's no cement that's why it's called dry stone and um instead it, it gets its strength from how well the natural shape of those stones fits together and that strength means as i've just said like they can last millennia whereas it, traditional cemented walls have real problems like you know water ingress freezing cracks the cement and the wall starts to fall apart the wall is only held together in a traditional you know in, in the walls most of it from brick walls that we're familiar with because of that cement and that, that kind of, um, it requires a lot of effort to do that. Now, most companies recruit, recruit people, we're all different shapes. Then they try and turn them into bricks. They knock the edges off and they try and make straight lines because it's easier for them to construct the wall like that. It's harder to do it our way, which is, you know, really getting to know an individual and really getting to know where their strengths will fit against those of others. But if we do that well, instead of chipping off some bits of someone that are incredibly valuable, and then trying to get them to do some stuff that's just not them because you've got to, they've got to fit into the wall. We're able to uh, really try to enable people to contribute what they are naturally best at and enjoy most. Now, if, if someone 
kind of brings those characteristics in and, and, and is comfortable with that, then they can enjoy tremendous time here. Um, if on the other hand, they crave being turned into a cuboid, and some people do, then you know, they genuinely are better off in, in, in for example, a more traditional corporate. So, so, so Greg, are you, are you saying then that the kind of people that you're looking for are those that are really looking for a, for a challenge, that, that want to push themselves? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think most companies say that, right? But, but then what are they pushing themselves to do? You know, I worked in a large corporate matrix organization. And, you know, what I was pushing myself to do was to get someone to do something they didn't want to do. You know, if you spend your entire life pushing water uphill, it's just not enjoyable. And it's also not making the most of the talents of yourself and everyone else. So I think with us, you, you know, it's interesting. People, have you ever seen one of those videos on YouTube of uh, an animal being uh, let out of captivity? So they'll have like a deer or a bear or something that's been kept in a cage and they'll take it off to a field and, and they'll, they'll open the cage and it will kind of gently, nervously, tentatively work its way towards the, the gate and, and it'll look around and nine times out of 10, it will take a couple of steps into the wild, breathe the fresh air, see the horizon and disappear into the distance. And that fills us with joy. One time out of 10, by the way, you know, it'll kind of see the outside world. And it'll go like, actually, this looks a bit scary. I quite enjoyed being fed three times a day and having a free vet bill, you know, whatever, medical care. Um, and gets back in the cage. And I think, you know, an organization like ours is very much, if you're moving from a corporate world, or you're considering like, you know, where you want to work, it's having the freedom and the responsibility that, for example, I've just described there, you know, you have to be able to, do a lot for yourself. There, there aren't loads of support functions. You know, we've got 700 people or whatever, and we don't have an HR department, right? Um, you know, you cannot expect other people to cover your back. You have to take responsibility. But in return, you're able to do so much to keep on, you know, delivering, whether it be outstandingly good customer service, whether it be nurturing and growing a fantastic team as you work your way through this growing organization, whether it be having an, a lot more freedom in how you write code, write software, whatever the, the kind of space you're in. We don't always deliver this, but, but the, the idea, the concept is you can see the challenge. You want to be successful. No one comes to work to do a bad job. All right, great. Okay. In that case, let's let you do a good job because we hired you because you're great. So Rebecca, you've been here about three years. How is it different working for Octopus in comparison to your previous experience? So previously, I, I, I worked at British Gas, which, to be honest, is, is full of some really great people trying to do some great stuff. And great people getting totally kind of beaten down by the traditional way of doing things, which is, you know, uh, sign off and processes and silos and functions. And I remember when I first joined that business, trying to get something across the line and um, in a meeting with some people who've been in the business for years. And it was just an absolute kind of computer says no faces. That won't work here. You don't understand. You're new in. You're so keen. You won't be that keen for long. Um, and I managed to stay keen for about eight years. And then when I was the person in the meeting, when someone new suggested something and I was going, you know, that kind of sucking through, through teeth thing that I realized it was, it was time to go because I, I could no longer, I no longer had that joy uh, of work. And I think when I, when I came to Octopus, there are, right, you're, you have complete freedom to, to drive value and grow, grow the business. And, um, and that's quite scary, first of all. So, 
you know, I remember having a conversation with Greg and first of all, it was even stuff like, well, who's, who's, who's my team going to be? Because obviously as a senior person coming to the organization, one wants to know who, what you, who your team will be. And he was like, well, you know, there are people who will do stuff for you. It's, it's, it's not quite as, as simple as, as, as that, you know, you know, there's the kind of this guy here, he's awesome. You know, he creates stuff and this person builds stuff and this woman, she writes stuff and you kind of use them to, to fulfill your, your needs. Um, and that was quite difficult to kind of get my head around until I realized it's the kind of organization where, you know, if you, if you leave people, people will, people will come and people will create great things together. If you kind of, you know, you don't put them in a particular where you're, you're a writer and, and, and you're a developer and, but you, you know, you encourage them to expand their own horizons. And, Something else that um, that was a was a big change for me was as a marketer how you get work approved, how I get things. You know, I was used to kind of you come up with an idea, um, and then you take it for someone to approval, and they go, "Yes, you can do that." And when you created something, it would go to a lawyer or regulatory person and data protection person and an operations person and a public affairs person and a PR person and all these different people to sign it off. We don't have that at Octopus. That actually you know, I'm the head of marketing. It's my responsibility to make sure that anything that is going out is, is correct. It's not going to cause us any problems. And that actually, I know my trade. I know when I'm creating something that it's not illegal or, you know, too reverent, it's, it's going to do the right job. And that creates, um, it's like complete accountability for your work. It's not just responsibility, but it's for accountability. And that means that you're thinking whenever you create anything, you know, you're, you're thinking about all the edge cases, you're thinking about all the things that could go wrong. You think about what if, if, if that customer thought that or if someone read it in a particular way. So there's no, there's no lazy creation of, of ideas. You're, you're working really, really hard to, to make sure that what you put out the door isn't, isn't going to cause you issues later down the line. Greg, what about what about yourself in terms of because this isn't the first time that you've led an organisation. So w- was there anything from your previous businesses that influenced how you wanted Octopus Energy to kind of look, feel, run? Yeah. And I think like we had the opportunity because we had kind of visionary investors to start off on a path that would enable us to, to kind of um, set a trajectory that I've always wanted to be on. Um, there are a couple of things. I mean, first of all, by the way, from what Rebecca was talking not even from, from things I've previously led, but you know, I used to work at Procter & Gamble in marketing. And um, you know, probably the core skill of a junior marketing person at Procter & Gamble was getting signatures. Um, you actually didn't put that much effort into making sure that the creative was brilliant because you knew it would get butchered during the signature process. Moreover, you wouldn't put that much effort into making sure it was going to be fully compliant because the compliance team would do that and fully legal because the legal team would do that. Now, now by the end, a dozen people would have done a whole load of work to make a good idea pretty bland and ordinary. And in the process, it was painful. And by the way, sometimes, you know, because you obviously get the signatures, you didn't actually care that much whether the signatures should have gone on the paper. You just got them. That was the joy. And, and, and so, you know, when you look at how companies, for example, in, in sectors like ours, ended up in mis-selling scandals, everything there was signed off. Everything there had gone through all those processes. In fact, what those processes did was once people had got the sign off on something, they allowed it to be scaled without anyone questioning whether it was right. And, and I think that, that what Rebecca talked about there, that the total accountability sitting with you actually means that you make sure, you absolutely make sure it's right. Now, of course, if Rebecca wants, she can go to legal and say, hey, look, I just want to check this. Yep. But it's on request as opposed to forced. And that is what causes the accountability. In, in terms of other stuff I've learned, Russell, I think it's so difficult for people who've come from high-flying backgrounds to remember, so important for them to be aware that pretty much everyone's pretty much as smart as they are, right? 
And if you can make ends meet in the modern world, if you can bring up a family and take out a mortgage and deal with all of the things that make life hard, you can do what most companies want of you most of the time. And instead of managers sitting over you with a, mm. a set of KPIs and a checklist and a, and a, and a prod to make you go faster, um, you know, what they should really be doing is uh, freeing you up to deliver the brilliance that's inside you. Very good. Okay, um, change the subject slightly. Someone's gone through your recruitment process. Uh, they've got their job offer. They're all very excited. They're raring to go. They're listening to this podcast. What can they expect on day one? <laughs> I think it's been so long since um, my day one. Uh, Rebecca, go, go on. No, it's, it's, um, it's funny, actually, because I've, I've had two people jo- join um, the company um, during during lockdown, actually, people who were both interviewed during lockdown, which is which is kind of hard hard work, and then had served out their notice, and then, and then joined, including one who'd moved from another country, and they're the, they're the kind of octopus people, right? So they're people who you know, one, they didn't have a company laptop, you know, but they were kind of rolled with that. They had a, a company we use um, Gmail, uh, so they had access to everything. We got them set up on our Slack channel first, so they can talk to everyone. So the first thing we do, we go, here's the marketing group, everybody say hi and share some banter. And there was immediately some banter. So actually the first thing you're doing is kind of, this is everyone, this is a community. Um, I budded them up with people immediately. So actually the, the second person to join, I budded up with the first person to join two weeks earlier because he'd just gone through that process. And I was like, what did we say to read that was useful? You know, there's not a kind of set process for in, in my team in, in particular. Um, it was just kind of bring them in, bring them in immediately and start to talk to people and talk to everyone about, you know, how we do things. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? When, on reflection, listening to Rebecca, one of the things about having a very decentralized organization with very mm-hmm. little in the way of process. Yeah. It's like that's the experience when someone joins Rebecca's team. It was probably quite different when they're joining a different team. Right. Now, the, all the people who run teams will be learning from each other about what works and what doesn't. And, you know, finding flavors that work best for their function, their role, their location. But, you know, rather than us trying to say, hey, here's the best practice, which would then immediately constrain that learning. Every time someone joins, it's part of the company learning how to do it better. How cool is that? Um, I sometimes say I I don't run the show. I just host the party. I create the environment in which people can mingle and and get to know each other and deliver great stuff. But it is everyone's responsibility to make it that. So I guess and I think that is probably... Uh, you know, a lot of companies might say similar things, but we're at the more extreme end of it. Have you had any challenges? So individuals coming in new and experiencing perhaps that for the first time, you said earlier, it's not for some people. Yeah, we've had a very few people who craved structure, you know, and, and, and actually would look at this and think this is just, some might think it, they'd recognize it's powerful, but not for them. And a few might even think this is kind of crazy. Um, and they'd go rather go back to, a very structured process oriented corporate and that's totally cool. You know, I, I think it's a bit like, you know, products and services that companies sell, not every product and service is for everyone. And, and, and if I say, I want you to be yourself here. Well, you know, if you turn up here as a kind of person who venally wants to make the most money possible and will tread on your colleagues to get it. And that believes that the way to get things done is through politics. Well, you know, I mean, I hope we won't let you in, but if you do join, it, it won't be, a, you know, it won't be a place that's successful. Rebecca, when when we were planning this podcast, so we've had a couple of emails go back and forth, and and one in one of your emails, you wrote that you're keen to keep your random awesomeness and and way of doing things, which which kind of really stood out for me. So I don't, I don't know if this is going to be something that you are able to answer, but I just, I just, it was just an interesting phrase. And so I just tell me about random awesomeness. What's all that about? Well, 
think random awesomeness is is always enabling the 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 most kooky bits of everyone's personality you know all those bits you know when you sit in a, in a meeting in a, in a corporate and you kind of wonder you know, what, what people really like outside of work and sometimes you see that at the, the Christmas party and people drink a bit and you think oh, blimey I didn't know that you did that or you were like that or something but it's about you know octopus how can you kind of bring that out every day and and what people will do will do at work so um and actually almost you know people kind of coming up with stuff that feels a bit uncomfortable you know I like the fact that uh, the, the business that that you know Greg founded and I joined early on and you know we've kind of um, set a, a lot of the culture around new people coming into the business will push it even we what we kind of think is acceptable and occasionally something will be happening and you know me and Greg will be like oh, god you know that's a bit that's a bit far out even for us you know someone will come up with an idea and we have to kind of believe that actually you bring in brilliant people and they do they do random random awesome stuff um, whether that's you know, a, a, a developer um, deciding to to change something because they've worked very closely with a with an operations person, and you know, as we had quite recently, actually, someone sent something live in the middle of the day that was totally brilliant um, and totally unexpected, and in a normal organisation, it would never have happened at all. But it was much much better than what would have been before, and it's kind of enabling people to go, "I've got a real passion. I I think I can make a real difference by changing that thing um, within within my remit, um, and just being able to to get on with it." You know, you know, it's quite funny, isn't it? Like, I think loads of companies, people have got something they want to do and they keep bashing their head against the, mm. the wall. It's, it's like a fly at the window. Yeah. Um, and you should be really honest. It's like, we're either going to say yes straight away so you don't have that or no, honestly, don't bother. But keep coming up with stuff because we might say yes next time. Rather than having this thing where I, I was speaking to a big corporate and they were kind of trying to be innovative and create a ventures thing. And, um, you know, they had people spend a year going through iteration after iteration of their idea, pitching to the executive who give wise words back to go and make a better job and then pitch it again. Now, it's a few things come from that. The first is anybody who's spent a year pitching something is never going to admit it didn't work, right? So they're not going to fail fast. They're going to keep on pretending it's worked, right? Um, the second thing is the executives are often the worst people to know what's going to work. And we've had a great thing here, right? A guy on Rebecca's team, Max, uh, there was a load of stuff around the office which we'd been given by other companies or which had been part of development and that ordinarily you'd have thrown away or whatever. And, and he, um, he said, look, I'll put it all in a big box and give it away as a prize to customers on Facebook. And I, and I was like, look, we don't do that. We're not a company that, that does competitions. Anyway, uh, and... Um, he Max did it was, anyway. Yeah, Max did it anyway. <laughs> and uh, guess what? It was unbelievably successful. Incredibly successful. <laughs> so yeah. a couple of months later, Max said, hey, you're not a competition. I want to do another one. This time, I want to give away eight electric vehicles, eight because we're an octopus, like a Tesla. And I was like, how much is that going to cost? Anyway, again, I, I, it was completely not what I would ever do, but we could afford it. It worked out, I think it's 16 pence per customer across our old <laughs> business. So you're like, let him do it. And again, it was outrageously successful to the extent that the CEO of another energy company came up to me and went, that is genius. Right? How does your company develop ideas like that? <laughs> and I was like, you know, um, it just doesn't develop them. It just lets people come up with stuff. Exactly. You know, I think here's the thing: mm. they can't replicate this. Yeah. It's so yeah. hard for a company to yeah. replicate that freedom. So I can tell yeah. everyone about it, right? Yeah. And 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 it's not a competitive threat to us. 
Sorry, Rebecca. There is, there is a filter. I mean, you know, we give people support. So kind of Max did, you know, and we kind of poked the idea around and Greg was like, oh, I'm really not sure. But then we decided in the end to, to, to go with it. So it's not people are totally, it's not free range. It's not total do whatever you want. It's like, you know, come up with whatever you want and then we will help you do that. Um, and actually it's the kind of environment where sometimes even if we go no, and then actually Max and other people feel empowered to go, I'm really going to champion this one because I really think we should. And it's not just a computer says no. It's like, okay, well, we'll listen and we need to understand that, you know, this is uh, our culture and what people would do is developed even beyond what we could, we could have hoped. Um, and it's a similar thing, actually, you know, we have, we use Slack as a communications channel and we have a comms channel where anyone in the business can put in any suggestion around whether that's customer said, or don't have email or can we tweak it or just random suggestions. And that channel is monitored by, by my team. Um, and I look in there, you know, I'm kind of constantly reading that channel to see what suggestions go in. And it means that, you know, we've, you'll get some incredibly brilliant ideas from our operations team. who just spoken to a customer that you never would have thought of. And we can action them really quickly. So there might be like 20 things going there a day and 15 or so we've had that question before and we can give an answer to, you know, and, and you know, four things are, are really hard and yes, ideal, but it's not, it's not something that would be really productive as an organization. And there might be one thing which we've literally never thought it was absolutely brilliant. And then you down tools and you make it happen. And that absolute ability for anyone in the business to talk to anyone in the business and share those ideas um, is what enables us to kind of, it's not just, you know, growth like that. It's, it's, you know, it's growth in steps, right? Because we just do things that you never would have expected a business like us to do. But taking that as an example, so take, take the competition one, and I get, and I get the autonomy, and and you want responsibility, but mistakes will happen at some point. So so what do you guys as lead as you know as the leaders of the business do then? Yeah, like so, um, loads of companies say uh, embrace failure, but they don't deliver on it. So um, we really do, and I think the first thing is you've got to remember when someone does something wrong, it's very rare they meant to. They probably feel worse about it than we do. So first thing is like, look after that person, put your arm around them. Um, now if it happens a lot with that person, then we might be having a different conversation. But, but the point being, we all make mistakes and we should learn from them, but we should be feel supported. Because guess what? The person who made the mistake this time is the one who's least likely to make it next time. Now the next thing is that um, we don't brush it under the carpet because I think that if, if people are scared of telling you when they've made a mistake, right? And they don't know that we all make mistakes, then there's a high chance that they try and cover it up. And I've seen that happen in lots of companies. And the problem is it's the mistakes you don't know about that cause the biggest damage to a company. So it is literally thanking someone for telling us when something's gone wrong. Blame flows upwards. If we've put someone in a position where the mistake is going to cause a big problem for the company, well, that's my fault, right? So we were talking about that competition thing earlier as an example. If it didn't work, it's a small enough risk. It doesn't matter. And if it does work, it can make the company better. Uh, but nobody should be exposed to be able to make a mistake that, you know, kind of bets the company or creates massive problems financially, legally, or in terms of customers. Um, so, you know, the job of the more senior you get, the more responsibility you have to take for making sure that you're aware of what can go wrong and guarding against it and if anything goes wrong it's your fault and that's cool because yeah. ultimately the blame lands with me well, well something that's kind of linked to, to this conversation but it's just picking up on, on what you said earlier greg about not having an hr function within the business so how, how does that work exactly i think first of all it's a bit of a philosophy right? I mean, by the way one day maybe we'll have one all right the question is you know 
if we've got this far without one, maybe we can go all the way. When I first ran small businesses, you know, you start a business, you've got you know one person, then 10, then 20, and 30, and then 50, and so on. You don't have an HR function. You learn how to do it yourself. You learn how to deal with all of the really important aspects of management. And um, it's incredibly fulfilling. And I think, uh, you know, I use that one as an example because if you can run a company of 50 people without one, which most companies of 50 people don't, why do you need one when you get to 500 people? Because, you know, as a manager in that 50-person company, uh, actually, what you what you spot when you're going to smaller companies is very often they're closer to their people. They know their people better than a large machine. So what we don't want to do is create that large machine. What we want to do is scale the magic of you know, smaller companies. And so what what it does mean is that we need to teach managers and leaders how to manage and lead, not how to outsource it when it gets hard to someone else. And we also need to talk to our people because, you know, sometimes particularly people come from other organizations. I'm like, well, where do I go with this problem? You know, this is, I normally take this to HR. And what you have to remember is that HR doesn't work for team members. It works for the company. And so actually, it's just it, very often, and, and there's no criticism, there's some amazing HR professionals. But once you have a function, any function in the company, the first thing it does is make sure it has a role. And that that role is really important and, and typically that that role keeps getting bigger. So essentially the idea here is, you know, we, we try to minimize the number of specialist functions because as a manager, you always, you look at them going like, how did that get so big? <laughs> right. So better not to get started on that in the first place. So how do you then deal with some specific things? So for example, within HR, there are things like disputes, um, bereavements, there might be some quite big things that happen for employees. So how do some of those things get handled? Yes, I think um, most of the way in which an HR function might take a bereavement as an example, you know, they'll be telling the manager how they should help look after that person. But hey, why don't we just train our managers to be able to do that themselves, right? Now, by the way, we may get it wrong sometimes, but so do HR departments. But by being a learning organization where people are taking responsibility and accountability, um, I hope we get it right most of the time. But no one's more, you know, no one's more, um, no one's got more interest in making it work than, you know, team leaders and managers. And then you talk about, you know, if you get into more complex areas like a dispute or a complaint about a manager or something, ultimately in, in a company with an HR function, you know, those complaints would flow up the tree and might end up at the CEO. Well, hey, they can get to me. Right, uh, and then get to any manager in the tree, and then go horizontally across the company. And we really encourage those discussions. So I, I think we can provide the same outlets and the same capabilities, but we do so by it, it, instead of shrinking the role of managers, growing it. Instead of kind of taking away some of the most important stuff and most rewarding bits about being a business builder, we give it to those people. And, and then finally, there are some technical things, and we have an outsource. Um, company that advise us and can help with that, uh, who are truly expert. But I think what's interesting is if that were an internal function, then it would be continually trying to add value by you know, prying into what's going on. Whereas again, I, th I think we talked earlier about you know, kind of legal support being on demand rather than forced. And it's the same with, with, with HR support. And, and that balance of really um, making sure it's available with, I mean, 
probably greater expertise than many internal functions have because externally we've got access to a whole world of expertise, but on demand. Uh, it's, it's kind of, um, I think it's a much more contemporary progressive approach to building a people-centered organization. Yeah. And again, as a, as a manager, you know, we would want to empower people to have the skills to be able to manage that. So for example, you know, to, to give an example, if someone in my team, you know, was, had had a lot of sickness, but had been off sick, then, you know, first of all, I'd be, I'd be worried about that person because, you know, and see, is there something that we could do to help if they are, you know, if there's a change of, of, of working, um, you know, do they need some time off? But, you know, if I, if I wasn't sure that sometimes, you know, if people are a bit grumpy about work, that can visualise in, in sickness. So it's like, actually, if I kind of felt that, you know, someone, someone was, was grumpy about work rather than sickness, then I should be having that conversation with them. And it shouldn't be kind of, well, tell you what, I'll wait till they get their, to their allocated number of sick days for a year, and then I'll put them through a performance review. Actually, pick up the phone, you go, I'm really sorry you're not very well. Is there anything I can do to help? You know, and try and identify kind of if someone does need extra support from that, and whether that's actually, you know, we've had someone in my team had a, had a, um, a joint problem them, um, which affected their working so we got them some physio to try and help them get back on the feet again because there's no point just kind of you know if it's not going to get better um, by someone just having time off let's see what the company can do to, to make that better so it's all kind of bespoke to, to to the person but again around the manager knowing 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 their team and and, and being empowered to um, to do what's to do what's necessary to, to make their working lives better um, and having that closer relationship yeah and in terms of you acquiring companies and other businesses how do you then deal with that bringing in a new culture they've they've gone through a totally different time at their old company also things like the onboarding and how that how that gets handled given it's a group of people from a different company and some of the potential things like job losses changes and the transitions that that have just gone on there i think truly uh, there's a couple of bits here and i think part of our company is about having adult conversations this stuff's not easy, okay? Typically, there will be job losses because the reason we acquire another company in, well, it depends actually. I, I, sorry, I should be really clear here. If it's an energy retail business, chances are we're more efficient. Therefore, you know, we'll be able to manage the company with often very many fewer people. Um, we make decisions really quickly. Um, so helping people who are not gonna be part of the future find something else from the off. So they're not sitting there worrying about what's gonna happen being led down a garden path. So hard conversations very early is really important. Uh, and then really helping thereafter, because it's not their fault. They've probably done a brilliant job just for a company that, you know, didn't in the end win in the marketplace. I think the, um, but within that, it's then really trying to embrace the talent that's innate in so many people. So we don't want the processes of those companies and we don't want their culture but we want the talent of their people. And I think for a lot of people who've, who've joined us through acquisition, you know, they describe us a breath of fresh air. And a lot of them were you know, not exactly in the happiest companies. I mean, part of the reason the companies are getting acquired is that things aren't going well. So, uh, you know, whether for some people that is the end of the road, but we will help them the best we can. And for others, it's the beginning of a new, it's a new beginning. So I think that's, that's when we're looking at kind of comes at doing things like energy retail. And, and, and we don't use words like HR as a sort of dismissive commoditization of humans, right? Humans as, you know, incredibly special, each individual um, value creators of what this business is built on. So the people who are part of the future, uh, genuinely, I hope, uh, kind of feel that this is a place to flourish. And um, when we're acquiring businesses that are in whole new sectors, we're largely acquiring for the people. 
right? <laughs> it's the talent of the people that, and, and, and the stuff they've created um, in areas that we're not currently expert that we want. So in those scenarios, what I hope we do is we create a great place for that talent to flourish. But again, within the um, processes and culture of our company, um, which enable, it, it hopefully then means that you don't end up with siloization. You don't, over a period of time, end up with all these kind of individual citadels. But we are, you know, one society. This, this, this leads nicely onto actually. I, I want to get onto this this whole area of communication within the teams. And um, so you've talked about flat structures. You know, people being empowered to take responsibility. What about across functions though? Because in, in lots of businesses, you wouldn't even talk to, you know, or even know half the people outside of your own department. So how, is there regular dialogue between um, colleagues across different teams? Do they work together well? Yeah, I mean, we have no walls between functions um, at Octopus and we vigorously knock down those walls should ever they occur because one of the most dangerous things in organisation is where, you know, uh, an operations team gets a bit grumpy with marketing because marketing keep doing stuff to drive the business that makes them busy and marketing get a bit grumpy because they're trying to drive the business and then every time they do something, operations get jumpy that, you know, people are calling more um, and then operations get jumpy because tech aren't delivering all the stuff that they'd like and then tech gets grumpy because they just have this, you know, massive list of, um, of things that they need to do that, that, you know, they haven't quite delivered yet and you just end up with all this incredible amount of circular grump where everyone's just unhappy with each other and actually if you strip all those walls back and you relentlessly you know talk to people about everybody is here to, to grow the business and to add value and to you know enjoy what they're doing and and you know and don't it's it's not about marketing driving the business and making ops busier and it's it's about everybody working together to drive the business and actually how you can practically work around that so we have something called jaegering uh, where tech people developers will go and sit with um, an operations person and actually sit with them as they work and understand how they work go and sit with them for a whole day and understand how they use the systems and what works and what doesn't work and they'll identify whole kind of stuff they'll go well hang on I could I could build a little bit of code there that would make that really easy oh I could just do that and I'll just go away and do it and then they'll go kind of back to their desk and and and, and release that I, I, can I just come in on that um because I think this kind of thing about functional walls is one of the most important considerations that we've had since beginning the business. And, you know, years ago, I ran this business where um, there were just three of us and every Friday we'd go for a pint. And um, what we found was during that time, of course, what we talked about was work. And it really helped create an informal way of resolving things that had otherwise hung in the air or, the, or creating new ideas or c coming together. As that business grew, it went from three people to 30 to you know, I think maybe just under 100, uh, that Friday night pint carried on. Now, the bill used to be like, you know, 20 quid. And by the end, it was in the hundreds, if not more. And we got acquired. And um, the company that acquired us, I remember the, the finance director very quickly saying, look, obviously, these Friday night things, we're going to have to work out how to bring the cost down because and I said, no way. This brings our whole company together. And it reminds people week in, week out, that everyone they work with in other functions cares as much and is as smart as and is as driven as they are. And um, that is worth however many pounds we're spending on our Friday night bar bill. And so when we started this business, we began that right from the beginning. And now here we are with, you know, even during COVID, we'll have three, four, 500 people on a Zoom call every Friday. And the most important thing it is, is to remind us we're all here for the same reason 
And regardless of what function we work in, we're all great people doing our best. And if, if tech gets something wrong and the system crashes, it's not because they're crap. It's because they're working so hard to keep bringing new things in. And because we're so successful at growing, they're continually uprating it. Similarly, you know, if marketing accidentally set an initiative live before the rest of the business was ready for it, and we're inundated with customers and the phone lines are melting and, you know, it's not because they don't care about everyone else. It's because in the quest to get this out of the door or because it was more successful than we expected, um, we couldn't have got ready. Uh, and then the same for every function. Um, so I think that that ability to keep coming together is one thing that differentiates um, us from siloized companies, which allow that resentment or lack of respect to grow between functions. And, and the reason I wanted to really emphasize this is that anyone who's listening who works here, you know, today in 2020, this is important to us. Maybe in 2025, it will be even more important. And, and what about, are you monitoring what, what, people what you know what what your colleagues are saying you know about the business do, do you look at things like um glass door for example sites like that yeah we so we, we do a bunch of things so first of all many functions of the business run something called office vibe which uh on a daily and weekly basis is selecting uh is asking questions about how people are doing um and you know that's an incredibly important part of our uh, understanding of how well we're doing and uh, we certainly look at glass door but for example, you know, my personal Slack is actually a way in which I learn a tremendous amount and, and creating permission for people to feel comfortable, letting us know when something goes wrong or when there's something they're worried about or something that they're, they're proud of um, through all those channels is important. I think the, the first of all, I got an email from someone a few days ago who, who was leaving the company and his experience hadn't reflected everything that he thought we stood for. And um you know, the ability to phone him up and have a chat with him, I half an hour on the phone with him to really understand more about it was, was invaluable. And similarly, uh, someone once tweeted at me, uh, I, I got a tweet about happy customers. They took it well, your customers may be happy, but your staff aren't. And, um, and I dropped him a direct message and uh, it turned out he was the father of one of our team and he felt that her talent was going unrecognized and she was stressed and that um, he told me a lot about it. And we ended up, and, and by the way, I never knew the identity. We were swapping <laughs> Twitter DMs. But he, um, uh, you know, I talked a lot to understand and, and, and what was going on. And amazingly, uh, you know, he said, look, this has this been really helpful. And a few months later, he dropped me a, a tweet, a DM, and said, look, my daughter's just been promoted. She's over the moon. That rough patch is gone. And, and by the way, it, it wasn't even something I'd done because I never knew who she was. Uh, but that dialogue it was was really helpful to me to know, you know, how how someone felt, even if I didn't know who they were, because you know we've got to make the machine better. Uh, but as I say, Russell, you asked, you know, do we do we try and monitor this and solicit it? And I, I hope we do it in every channel. Great. So just dipping back into something we've been talking about earlier, and that's around flexibility. What is the company's attitude and approach to remote working? Uh, I mean, look, we, we've been remote almost from the beginning. There was um, a friend of mine set up a business, an online clothing retailer. And then her husband, who was a diplomat, got posted to, I think it was Estonia. And suddenly um, she got this business in the UK and she couldn't be there. And so uh, this is maybe a, more than a decade ago. Sophie built a remote team and ran it from Estonia. And, and all of the people who worked in her team were remote. 
And, um, you know, I remember as she talked to me about how they use digital channels to stay in touch on a human level as well as a business level. And it really struck, struck a chord with me. And, and it really enabled her to tap into talent that perhaps, you know, other companies didn't have access to. Often it would be people who lived in an area that, you know, didn't have uh, sort of companies doing that sort of work. And, and others it would be, often it would be parents whose employers weren't flexible to a return. And, and so she had access to all this talent and that talent had access to a job and a career that otherwise wouldn't be there. So it was a real win-win. So very early in our history as a company, you know, I thought we should do the same. And so, you know, I think we were probably six months, nine months old as a business when we deliberately started recruiting people who could work re- uh, remotely and making sure we had the infrastructure to support that. And, uh, you know, it's something I was always really proud of because of the career opportunities it gave people who were otherwise not getting them with, with less enlightened employers. But it also gave us access to talent and gave our customers tremendously you know, capable support around the clock. And then finally, you know, you believe in this stuff and you do it because it's right. And then with COVID, you know, we were more prepared than almost anyone else for going to full remote working. So I think it's been a tremendous strength. And it opens up things you'd never imagined, by the way. So, you know, there was one of our customer team uh, was in a relationship with a guy who was moving to Canada and she could just take the job with her. Yeah, I mean, this, this actually for, for me personally has been an incredible strength as well. So the, the early, uh, specifically recruited remote working team, our, our DigiOps team, are mainly women and it's mainly women returning to work having had kids and it's women from incredibly professional backgrounds we've got some all absolute superstars but it's difficult to to come back to work and juggle small children society is still not it's not quite there yet it's hard being a woman having kids and trying to do a professional job and so not only does it mean you know we we've kind of tapped into this this super incredible pot of talent, but also they can support each other as well. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's incredible, incredibly powerful, really, where you look at the talent of someone and how you can enable them to work for you and with you rather than expecting someone to, like Greg said just at the beginning, be a, be a brick and fit in a box, which is nine to five in an office and, and behave in a certain way. You get so much more value out of people and people get so more, much more value out of you as an organisation as well. Okay, well, will that actually leads nicely onto something I wanted to come back to you on, Greg, which is that the fact that, you know, today companies are very much judged by all stakeholders on their ESG credentials, so environmental, social and governance. Um, the, the positive impact on, on the environmental part is, is obvious. So given the aim of delivering cheaper, greener energy, so, you know, big tick there. But how how do you view your role in society as a business in integrating a social purpose into the company? Actually, um, I, almost I think the question shouldn't apply to us if we're doing our job right. Right. Because we were founded to um, drive change in society that's needed. Uh, there are two things that were critical. You know, one, we talk about a lot, climate change. And, you know, we're a business. Uh, the observation I made early on was, you know, what if you could have a business that kind of made money out of fighting climate change rather than by causing it? Great. We've now aligned our shareholder interest making money with our purpose and drivers, human beings, which is um, to fight climate change. That's cool. And the second one is um, social justice. 
And um, you know, social justice has got a wide range of meanings. But in the first instance for us, uh, high energy prices and deceptive or at least difficult to decipher um, energy bills and, uh, and tariffs are the difference for a low income household between, you know, I know for a single parent between being able to afford to send the kids on a school trip or not. Um, for old people or people on very low incomes, it might be the difference between sitting at home all day, shivering and being able to feel comfortable that you can afford to put the heating on. Yeah, this is fairly fundamental stuff. In the long run, you know, I, I think the next five years of this business are about taking our UK kind of developed mission global to um, advanced economies. But over the five years following that, you know, hopefully we can start to democratize clean energy into, uh, you know, emerging economies and, and um, other nations too. So I think, you know, for us, our business is built in a way that should deliver both what other companies retrofit as ESG and the obviously very important thing as a business, which is making sure that we make money and we um, deliver a return to the people who've invested in our mission for us. Rebecca, I spotted you nodding along to a couple of bits there. I mean, what's your experience, you know, from, from your side of things in, in the company? Yeah, I mean, it's um, when I, well, the reason I joined Octopus was that both I was totally bowled over by the vision of, you know, bringing cheaper, greener power to everyone. Um, and the way that everyone I met, met, including Greg, you know, talked so articulately about that and, and you know, creating a successful business w which had those values at the core and could do that, but also the, the tech that underpinned the business. So the tech was the proof point that actually they, we, you know, the business could do that as well. So it was like actually the proof that, you, you know, you could be, be green and, and good and, and do things differently and create a different kind of business. Um, and this was how that was that was enabled um, and actually showing, you know, rather Greg talked about retrofitting, show you how you, how you build a business in um, from from the ground up and you build a business where, you know, diversity is built in from day one because you have the ability to support people who want to work in it in a different way, whether that's somebody who, you know, prefers to work from home or that's someone who has to work around their kids or, you know, whatever, whatever that is, that actually modern businesses and a business like ours, you know, can be just as successful, more successful than other businesses just by embracing humans and the talents of humans and the desire for humans to make the world a better place and and formulate formulating a business around that it's been fascinating hearing both of you share your your passion for this for this business and and, and its culture um rebecca one, one thing i wanted to sort of like ask you you're you're as the person in charge of communications how do you strike that balance between ensuring Greg's passion for everything, you know, that the company stands for, which which clearly comes through in, in this conversation and, and a lot of the, the comms, obviously, that I've seen him do. Um, so his passion as, as, as a leader and then not, you know, the result not being everyone seeing this as Greg Jackson Limited, you know, and so ensuring it's the octopus energy message that, that is being delivered. How, how do you manage that? We shouldn't feel in any way awkward about the fact that uh, we're a founder-led a founder -led business and many things that we've done so far, Greg said, the, a lot of the initial objectives and, and values of the business, but we've, we've built on them ourselves as, as an organization. And Greg talks about the fact that he hosts the party and it's the people who come to the party that make the party. And we've, you know, we've built and delivered 
and you know increase their our culture and our values and how we do things in in every direction and so it's almost become bigger you know how it has become bigger than bigger than greg um and i think if you look at other organizations if you like tesla you probably like elon as well but elon is not everything there is about tesla tesla is a fantastic organization with a number of you know key dimensions and metrics that are outside of a you know a kind of charismatic founder and you know but there's nothing wrong with the fact that that's a um, a very strong element of of their overall narratives well just following on from that do you feel you're winning in terms of the perception of octopus internally and externally and that's in terms of the brand how the brand comes across how it's been perceived and how also you're articulating that message how's that going well we can never say that we're we're winning uh, it's always to to try hard and to try harder and keep developing it and what's exciting is that you know our message continues to develop and we learn from both internal people and external people how we can make that work even even harder for us do you feel that's a consistent message though uh, whether it's internal or external so your employees as opposed to your customer and partners do they all feel the same about the brand yes uh, I've been surprised actually when I talk to people internally about how passionately they believe in and, and feel about what we're doing here and how we're trying to get that message of cheaper, greener power out there. That actually, that's why people join the business. That's why they, they, they stay with the business. That's why they strive to help grow the business as well. And all, um, you know, it, the, the fact that it's a, it's a good place to work and, you know, we let you be yourself and all that kind of thing is, is incredibly important. But actually at that core, people are here because they're, they're striving to make a difference and, and drive greener power around the world. In terms of, you know, are we getting a consistent message? I think what loads of companies do is they'll come up with a catchphrase and then apply it to what they do anyway and then hope that people echo about the catchphrase. Now, whether or not people echo about the catchphrase, it doesn't change what you really are. Now, actually, I don't think we've really got, you know, a, a well-articulated, well-spread mission statement or set of values and all that stuff. But I think that we behave in a way that is broadly consistent with everything I hope we've talked about today and, and that we'll unpack over the next few episodes. Um, and that therefore what people echo back is what we really are rather than what we wish we were or what we say we are. Well, you, well, you say you don't have the, the mission statement, but I mean, if you could just sum up your culture whether it's in a, a list of words or, or bullet points or a phrase or whatever, but, but how, how would you sum, sum, sum up the culture of, of, of the business, Greg? Look, I think the thing we do um, is really understand that people are special, um, that everyone's an individual and that we've got one go at life. So if we can make the, you know, eight or nine or 10 hours, whatever a day that we um, are working or involved in work, a part of our life, because we are ourselves throughout it, we'll live fuller, richer lives. Um, I think we'll contribute more to the company and the company will contribute more to us. Tremendous. Uh, Greg Jackson, Rebecca Dib-Simkin, uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, it's, it's been it's been a fascinating chat. It's been a, a long chat, <laughs> uh, one, one that's certainly longer than we anticipated. But um, Greg, what, what if what what do you want listeners to do from here? What you know, do you want them to contact you? Do you want them to follow you? Well, Russell, I think it was interesting enough. We'll turn it into a podcast series. They should probably subscribe. Um, either way, uh, who, who would listen to this? I, I hope that new team members will listen and 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 you know be able to over a period of time get an understanding of 
kind of where this company has come from and what they're part of. Uh, I think um, people who are thinking about joining us should, you know, should hopefully listen and get a sense for themselves of, of whether they like this kind of uh, what we, I hope, are revealing about the way we are under the hood. Um, and then outside of that, you know, as a company, we were trying to look, we've got ideas about how organizations can better deliver for customers and for society and for the people who work in them. And, and maybe, you know, we can sort of start to form a conversation about that. So if you're a business leader and stuff here that's interesting, whether you agree or disagree, drop me a note. And then I guess, um, you know, if you're a competitor, I hope it was interesting as well, because <laughs> I certainly find that a lot of what we do and say publicly um, kind of comes back to me through those channels too. So, uh, you know, for whatever reason, people have had a listen. And maybe if you work in another organization and you want to take these ideas in your own company, drop us a note, follow me on Twitter, follow the company on Twitter and, and you know, let, let's enjoy this kind of very um, porous, open, collaborative approach to building the future. Brilliant. Well, who, you know, given given we've talked about technology-led business, can we get your CTO on for the next one, maybe? Talk tech? I mean, if you think this one was long. <laughs> but yeah, look, yeah, look, I, I, we can definitely do that. I don't know, Trudy, what, what would you like to pick up on in the next one? Well, I think I like the tech story, it, where it's evolved from. I think there's really something important to share. We've kind of got a lot of grounding on what you're all about and where you came from. I think tech is the natural next step, actually. Great. Okay, next one, tech. Excellent. So uh, it looks like um, the tech story will be the next one. So um, we better wrap this up now. Um, so thank you all for listening. Thank you for uh, watching if you've been watching us online as well. And um, from myself and uh, Trudy, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to kick this uh, podcast series off. So uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.